Good morning, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, we're continuing our study of the book of Habakkuk. We have uh, actually uh, one, uh, next, one more week uh, in this particular uh, chapter before we move on to chapter 3, the final chapter, which is uh, an exciting chapter. It actually talks a uh, prophecy. It's called the Divine Warrior Psalm. It talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and his actions during the tribulation period and, of course, the second advent of Christ, which brings to an end the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. So preview of coming of attractions. Uh, also, uh, just a couple of announcements. On the last Wednesday of each month, uh, we have our corporate prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. So if you can make it, that'll be uh, this month. It falls on the 29th. So uh, we'll be, uh, the 29th, we're having a corporate meeting at 6 o'clock. And uh, also, remember, this Wednesday, we have no service. Uh, we have, uh, I just wish, to, wish like to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, it's good to see you here, all of you. And um, we're going to, uh, what else I wanted to tell you? Um, oh, on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember what it is. I'll come to me later, probably. Anyway, so we got uh, a lot of ground to cover here. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18 today in Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, as you can see on the board in, the, in this first lesson, in the first session, we're going to be looking at Habakkuk 2.17, which tells us that the Babylonians will be overwhelmed and terrified by violent acts against them because they did the same to other nations. So this is continuing the principle. We're learning a lot about the character and nature of God and also the, the principle of lex talionis. Uh, you heard the expression eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, that be, most people don't really understand, most Christians really, I find, don't really understand what that means. It means the punishment must fit the crime. And so uh, this is, uh, we see that the crimes that were committed by Babylon against other nations, the citizens of the other nations, and we'll see again that they, they actually murdered innocent civilians. And uh, what happened, what they did to others will be done to them. So in the same way God deals with uh, people, uh, individuals, and holds them to account for their behavior, so God does the same for nations, which makes sense because every nation is composed of people, right? And uh, that's why Jesus would always tell his disciples, and this is in the law, really, treat others the way you'd want to be treated. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself in the law. So uh, now, because Jesus has come, we're to love as Christ is loved. John 13, 34, 15, 12. And that's in relation to inter interacting with each other. We're also talking about, uh, we'll talk about God, again, being a judge. And this is, and he being holy and his holy character. And uh, so we're talking about these things with God. We're learning these things about God. We're also learning things about the human race and d nations. Babylon is the uh, United States of America, China, Russia, all the nations of the earth that ever were up to this present moment and you know, away from the past. We all have the same problem. We're all sinners by nature and practice. Uh, the nations of the earth are under the deception of Satan, who's the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Revelation 12 says he deceives the entire world. The whole world is under his power, 1 John 5, 19. So uh, what we see is God, it, he uses evil nations to destroy evil. And this is how he's conducting the world today. He, he, nothing has changed. He's going to do it to our nation if we don't wake up in our country. So, uh, of course, the great thing about what our position is, uh, we are Gentile Christians. I don't think there's any Jewish Christians here, but maybe they are. But together with Jewish Christians, we form the new humanity that's talked about by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And so uh, we now, we have a, we've been delivered from eternal condemnation, enslavement to sin and Satan's cosmic system. And now we're to pass along this message to the rest of the human race and, uh, and, and give them the gospel, 
which of course is the good news for the non-believer, the good news that despite the fact that they're under the wrath of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. For the Father did not send the Son in the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So uh, we know what our job is, the best thing we could do for our country is uh, live the spiritual life, grow to spiritual maturity, become like Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing we could do for our nation and pray for our nation and their leaders as we are commanded to in Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-8. through 8. So uh, let's uh, get right to it. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. We take this moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, he, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now, we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us through the scriptures which he's inspired. And that's when we're obeying those commands of Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ richly dwell in your soul. Now... We've had, many of us have had difficult weeks and different things we're dealing with in our individual life and whatnot, and jobs and businesses, whatever we're going on in our personal life, health, whatever. So right now, do not worry about these things. Those problems are going to be there when you get out, okay? <laughs> Just cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. And that's one of the great, and that when you're in ministry, I know Pastor Pete could say that, you know, we all go through different stressful times and guys in ministry. That's one of the great passages. I would say, hey, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and 1 Peter 5, 7. Hang your head on those, baby. Because you, you, you and I are in the devil's world. And if you've got positive volition to God's word, you're, you're an object of attack. And so uh, just keep that in mind. But you have the victory because you're in union with Christ, and nothing can conquer. Uh, the, 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 the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Always remember that. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, another gift you've given to us to be on this earth and to not only experience creation, but more importantly, to uh, do your will from eternity past to become like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for all the blessings that we have as citizens, not only of the United States of America, but as being citizens of heaven. We thank you for the logistical grace blessings that you've given to us, the things that we often take for granted, these bodies, the food, shelter, and clothing, and also our jobs, our salaries, our businesses, our families, the freedoms that we have in this country. We lift up our leaders despite the fact that we have problems in this country. We know that uh, they're all accountable to you, and we know that everybody's a bad leader. We've got some people who do care about this country and are patriots, so we thank you for them. And we just pray, Father, for our nation. We lift up our president and the vice president and the executive judicial legislative branches of our federal, state, local governments and military and covert operations and people in the uh, intelligence. I just lift them up in paramilitary organizations like the police. I lift them up 
I thank you for them, and I just pray, Father, that you would raise up uh, people with uh, uh, not only uh, born-again believers that have a, are positive to your word, but also those who have establishment principles that are found in, in the Ten Commandments. And we just uh, thank you for them, and we just pray, Father, you would impress upon your people in the church, not only here in America, but around the world, to pray for their leaders so that we might live a tranquil, quiet life, as your word says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, and also, as, also that we might, uh, because you desire all people to be saved. Now, we pray for today, this morning's class. I thank you for every single person that's in this chapel. I thank you for this beautiful building that you've given to us to meet in and, and the people who are serving in this ministry and maintaining it. And we thank you for those in this ministry are being good stewards with the time, talent, and treasure and truth that you've given to uh, them. And uh, we, uh, we just thank you for them and the prayers for this ministry and uh, those who support the ministry financially and all that goes on here. And we're trying our best to get your word out, people, and to, uh, to Lord, and to grow to maturity. So today, I pray that you would help me uh, to deliver the message today in both sessions with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. I cannot do this without the Spirit, and I just pray that the, your word says when we're weak, we're strong. Your power is manifested in our human weakness. And I also pray for the same for your children in the audience that you purchase with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that each person will be spoken to as an individual, help them through the ministry of the Spirit to learn, understand, and make application of what's being taught. To carefully consider the passages and principles we've been noting, I pray that we t they would take it to heart and orient their lives uh, accordingly. I also pray, Father, that uh, you break down any barriers that sin and Satan might be uh, putting up that would hinder that from happening. I pray as a result that all of us with one voice would give thanks to you in this time of thanksgiving. And we just thank you, Father, for, again, for all the spiritual blessings that we have, the tremendous things you've done for us at our justification. What are you doing for us now with the intercession of prayer by your Son and the Spirit and what you're going to do for us in the future and the imminent future where we could be absent from the body face to face with the Lord or we'd be in resurrection bodies with your Son perfected. And then the new heavens and the new earth and the millennial reign of your Son and we just thank you for all these blessings that you've given to us. So, Father, we pray for this service and our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. You should be at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter. And then we're going to look at verse 17 in detail, as we usually do. We do this, read the whole chapter, even though we're working on just one verse today. That's because we're trying to study verse 17 in its proper context. Uh, remember, as we approach this ministry, expository-type ministry, we, uh, we study the Bible in its historical context. Uh, many of you know that as isagogics. Uh, we compare Scripture with Scripture. Categorical, some of you know that as. And you have exegetical. We go back to the original Hebrew and Greek language. Part of the Old Testament is in Aramaic. And so we go back to the original languages and we go and compare scripture with scripture. We go back to the original languages. We study the Bible in its literary context, historical context. All these things are very important. We don't want to impose our 24th century values upon uh, what's the, the biblical writers? They're they're in a different historical setting to us, and so we need to pay attention to that. The, the, what we're always trying to do in interpretation, and by the way, exegesis is simply a fancy way of saying uh, interpretation. And so we need to do this because we want to know what the author's intent was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is very very important. 
Then we can talk about application. So I have to go through some things and explain some things, and then you'll find me going along the way, or at the very end, giving you an application of what we're being taught. So in an application, of course, uh, it being the sense that because it wasn't written to us directly, this passage in Habakkuk, but we can gain significance, implications from the text very easily. And I try to bring this out as we go along. So this is the approach of this ministry. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2. It says in verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say, that being God, to me, Habakkuk, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. As we pointed out, he's talking about the fulfillment of this prophecy against the Babylonian Empire, which uh, this was published around 605 BC, just before the invasion, the first of three invasion by the Babylonian Empire of the southern kingdom of Judah. And we see that uh, this uh, was fulfilled 66 years later in 539 BC when the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, without a shot being fired, defeated Babylon. And they, then they went on to uh, crush them and absorb them into their empire which was in fulfillment to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. So then it says in verse 4, see, and he's now going to describe the Babylonian. He, the Babylonian, is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous, that's a believer, will live by his faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's word. So remember, you're a Christian, you have to, you're justified, accepted by God and his family with a one-shot decision to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. After your justification, your conversion experience, now you need to walk by faith in God's Word. That's called discipleship, that's called the spiritual life, uh, whatever you want to call it, fellowshipping with God, and that's how you're to grow to maturity. Man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You eat physical food every day, you need to eat spiritual food every day. Uh, you need, for instance, you have your sanctified time alone with God, and you also have your corporate time right now with the members of the body of Christ. And you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves, as is the habit of some, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. This is where you get your encouragement, not from the gal down at the bar, Susie Q, or the, the guy down here like Billy Bob. Then none of these guys and none of these women can help you. Okay, they're engrossed in the devil's world, full of uh, enslaved to sin and Satan. And where are you going to get your encouragement from them? You're not going to get it from Netflix or staying home and watch Alabama. Okay? That's not going to give you encouragement. I know you're going to encourage them that you've got to bet on that game that they're winning, but it's not going to help you spiritually. All right. So then it says in verse 5, Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he's as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. It's talking about his imperialistic greed. Yeah, he's not talking about in this context him being uh, them being drunkards. Uh, we see that later on, as we pointed out. So he's talking about their imperialistic nature of their empire. So this is what God says about imperialistic nations in our history up to the present moment. We still have them. Then it says in verse six, "Will not all of them, <clears throat> the people who were uh, defeated by Babylon, taunt him, the Babylonians, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him, the Babylonian, who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors, speaking of Babylon's debtors, the people that they actually destroyed, uh, suddenly arise? The remnant of those nations will come back to get them. Will they not wake up and make you tremble? In fact, it's a rhetorical question demanding an emphatic, positive response. Yes. 
Then you will become their victim, Lex Talionis. The punishment fits the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Because you have plundered many nations, this will be the case. For the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood, and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. This phrase, shed man's blood, as we're going to point, about, point out there, uh, uh, the blood guilt of murder is the word dam there, as we'll see. It appears in the text uh, also, uh, and, uh, and, and, and actually in uh, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 17, as it does here in verse 8, me Adam in the Hebrew. It's found here in Habakkuk 2, 8, and also in Habakkuk 2, 17. Talks about innocent people were killed. We would call it collateral damage today. So they were involved in total war. Verse 9, woe to him, the Babylonian, who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? And you remember this phrase many times in this book. You see it all over the Old Testament. The word, the phrase, Lord Almighty, the word is Adonai Savaot. It means the Lord of the armies. And it's not just the human armies that God's control of. It's actually the angelic armies as well. Okay? So this is very important because he's saying this because he's reminding them that the nations, that, for instance, Hitler and his Nazi Germany, the Empire of Japan, the United States of America and the Allies were used to destroy these evil empires. They were, the United States was acting in effect, whether they realized or not, as the instruments of God's judgment. He can still use evil nations to destroy other evil nations, and that's what he regularly do, does, okay? That's, he can do that because there, he just uses evil, again, to destroy, defeat evil. And that was never more evident than at the cross. So then it says in verse 14, what, giving in the reason for verse 13, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. We'll be studying that. We're coming up with a new series starting next Wednesday. We just finished the doctor of sanctification. We're going to do a new series on the day of the Lord. We're going to talk about how it's used in the Old Testament because many day of the Lord prophecies have already been fulfilled. And the ones we're waiting for are what we call the eschatological prophecies, the study of future things after the rapture of the church. The day of the Lord, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Paul talks about it. And also we see 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, we're delivered from the wrath to come during the tribulation period, but through the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the church. Remember, Jesus is not a wife beater, okay? So that's why we're not going through the tribulation period. Okay, so we see we're going to also study, uh, which is going to help us in our study of uh, the chapter 3 of, of Habakkuk and, and probably a, another and the books we'll do in the New Testament, like First and Second Thessalonians, which talk about this. The day of the Lord also, the eschatological day of the Lord, also involves uh, doctrines like the 70th week of Daniel. So we'll be talking about that and the church's relationship to it. And we the real, why the church will be raptured. We're going to go through the di five different views of the rapture of the church in this series that's upcoming. Not this Wednesday because we're not going to be here. Uh, I'll be stuffing my face with turkey at uh, the Peaks home. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to have this. All this is what we got going. And then we have the millennial reign, the second heaven of Christ that brings in the millennial reign. And we're going to study the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be a great series. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through it. Okay. And then we're probably going to do a series of, on prayer. 
and the church after that. We've got a lot of things to go in our Wednesday studies. So then it says in verse 15, Woe to him, again speaking about the Babylonians, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. Drink what? The cup of the Lord's wrath. The cup from the Lord's right hand. The right hand in Scripture speaks of God's omnipotence. Is coming around to you, Babylon. And disgrace will cover your glory. How would it be coming around to them? Through Medo, Persia, and a coalition of nations. And Daniel records the night they were defeated. And Daniel chapter 5. And then it says in verse 17, the violence, this is what we're looking at here today in the first session, the violence you've done to, ba- uh, to Lebanon will overwhelm you. You and your, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and every around, everyone in them. People don't think God cares about the animals? Oh, guess what? This passage tells you he does. And we're going to talk about what does he mean by that? Is he, gonna, is he mad at them because they were hunting them? Nope. So get that out of your head. For those of you who are, uh, uh, you know, tree huggers or, do, you know, dog lovers. I mean, anyways, nobody eats dogs anyways. So anyways, we'll talk about that. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Verse 18. We're looking at this in the second session. And the rest of the chapter talks about the idolatry of the Babylonians. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it? Or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trust in his own creation... He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or a life to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is, in contrast to these lifeless idols that are the creation of men and the, and the, mind chi- the, the brainchild of Satan, he's behind idolatry, as we'll see in the second session. He's the one who comes up with the idea to deviate attention away from worshiping Jesus Christ. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Think about that. Those lifeless isles couldn't speak. God can. Why does he tell everybody in the earth to be silent? To listen to him. God gave us two ears and one mouth. And by the grace of God, he uses knuckleheads like me, saved by the grace of God, no better than you. I was given a gracious, the greatest gift of all time, my gift to teach in the word of God to God's people. And that's, he uses people like me, okay? If you're looking for someone who's perfect to, 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 you know, that Paul and his resurrection body is going to come out, you have to wait for the millennial reign for that. In the meantime, you just have to put up with me and others like me, okay? There's still many out there that, that care about it or hung, uh, want to teach the word of God, are faithful to teaching the word of God through thick and thin, good times, bad times, when there's a big house, a little house, two people in the audience or 50 people in the audience or 100 or 1,000, doesn't matter, Okay? The Lord is in his holy temple and he speaks right now to us through this passage. The Holy Spirit inspired it and he's telling us to be silent because he wants everybody in the world to know, including America today, including Russia and China. Every nation on the globe needs to open their ears and listen and shut up. This world is filled with garbage. All you hear is people talk, talk, talk. These social media, talk, talk, talk about nothing but garbage all day long. They got nothing good to say. There's nothing, any content. Just shut up, as my father would say when we used to talk too much. Billy, shut up. Okay. He's only, he runs the house. God runs this house. He runs the world. We have, we're drinking his water, breathing his air. 
We, he's, he gave us this body, whether you like it or not. He gave you your volition. He gave you everything. Who are we to talk back at him? We need to shut up and listen to him. And oh, if, the, if the, even the church, of all places, was supposed to be the bastion of truth, if only the church in America would wake up and see, listen to this. Because to whom much is given, much is required. I can understand the non-believer not wanting to listen, but the believers, how tra tragic that is and tragic for our country because the church in America has been the salt of the earth. It's the reason why we became great in this country. We had a began, began with a Judeo-Christian ethic. We've drifted away from the Bible. How do you know that, Bill? Look at the character of Christians. Look what they flock to. They're going to go see the, that Joel Osteen and his beautiful wife on his shoulder and in Creflo Dollar and Benny Hinn. Oh, the amazing Benny Hinn. And he's going to do all kinds of... That's why I'm calling them out. Warning, you don't even go near them. I mean, I had a Christian woman said one time, she said, what do you think that guy, she just started our ministry, what do you think of that guy, Joel Elstein? I think he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's easy, to th it's easy to go after that guy because it's obvious, okay? But some people have no discernment whatsoever, okay? So, here we have a packet 217. It's, we're looking at this in the first session. It says, The violence you, Babylon, have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed man's blood, you have destroyed lands and cities, and everyone in them. Let me give you my translation of a back of 217. For the violent acts committed against the people and land of Lebanon will overwhelm you. Likewise, the destructive acts of violence against both wild and domesticated animals will cause you to enter the state of being terrified. Ultimately, these violent acts will overwhelm you and terrify you because you murdered innocent civilian members of the human race. So again, Habakkuk 2.17 is actually continuing the Lord's response to Habakkuk's argument against the, his choice, God's choice of the Babylonians to discipline the apostate citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah, which, and which argument we pointed out in previous classes uh, actually is recorded in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 1. Now this response began in verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 2, and it ends with verse 20 as we just read. Now these verses, 2 through 20 of chapter 2, presents the Lord's decision to judge the Babylonian empire in the future for their unrepentant sinful behavior, and specifically, we pointed out, he will judge them because of their evil treatment of those nations they conquered in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world at the end of the 7th century B.C. and at the beginning of the 6th century B.C. So in other words, they have just got going. When this, when this prophecy was published, as I said before, it's, it's just before the imminent invasion of the Babylonian Empire. The text of Habakkuk says it hasn't taken place. God's just telling them this is what's happening. You're ticked off at your people. I am too. I'm coming to send the Babylonians after these people to discipline them. You got, you're just right, Habakkuk. You're exactly right for being angry at your people and their apostate behavior. And he's talking about believers who are in a covenant relationship with God. So they were believers. So we see that, that uh, Habakkuk here, he gets this prophecy and it corresponds to Jeremiah 51. We read that entire chapter one day, one Sunday. Okay, and the whole thing is, uh, and actually in, in Jeremiah, he said this has to be published. God wanted it published in Babylon. Now, when Jeremiah was writing that, the Babylonians had already started their invasions when he wrote that. Habakkuk's writing this prior to the first of three invasions of the southern kingdom of Judah, 605, 597, 586 B.C., and the last invasion 
was actually, uh, what that took place, that culminated in the destruction of the Solomon's Temple and the city of Jerusalem. And actually, the 605 BC invasion, the first one, began what we call the times of the Gentiles, which is what we're in now. Listen to me carefully, I've been pointing this out. You wanna know what's going on in the world today? Look at through the biblical lens. We're in the times of the Gentiles. It's the time of discipline for the nation of Israel. Why? They rejected their Messiah, Jesus. That's right. That's not anti-Semitic. The Jewish writers of the New Testament said this. The word of God says they, they were warned, okay? And Jesus said, when Pilate said, we want Jesus of Nazareth? No, we want the other guy, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the guy who's uh, the murderer, okay? The thief, Barabbas, right? No, and, and Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with this guy, okay? And he's guilty too, because he knew he was innocent, but to keep the Jews happy, because they were ratting on him to Caesar, and he was in bad shape with Caesar, and so he what? He capitulated, did the political thing, right? Political expediency, like we see all the time. So an innocent man gets killed. Happened, he wasn't just any ordinary man. He's the incarnate son of God. And the Jews said, yeah, crucify him. Let his blood be on our hands. Now, that resulted in the Romans coming in there like the Babylonians did. In 70 AD, under Titus, the great general, the son of Vespasian, who was an emperor, and he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And this is what the reason why Israel is in the shape that she, she's surrounded by her enemies. And if the rapture would ever happen now, who would she turn to? Because the United States is her chief benefactor. We're the reason, main reason why they're in the land. God used us. Harry Truman was one of those guys who big time getting them in there. Okay? Here they are. And so if we're raptured and the Christian, the, 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 the American military is filled with Christians. Okay? And if we're gone, what's going to happen to the American military? What do you think is going to happen to the country? What do you think, what do you think Israel's going to turn to? Oh my gosh, what's happened, to, what's happened to America? What's happened over there? Got to turn to the guy out in Europe, the head of the, the, the revised state of the Roman Empire. He's going to come out of Rome. He's the Antichrist. We're going to be studying this. He's not, he's not a Gentile. Or excuse me, he's not a Jew. He's a, Gen, he's a, uh, a Gentile. It says that in Revelation 13. It says in Daniel 9, 26 and 27 that he's the prince to come that came from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. That's Rome. He has to be a Roman. He's going to be a Gentile, therefore. This is what's coming for them. They have one more great dispersion. The prophecy of them coming back in the land, but there's going to be a prophecy filled during the tribulation period where they're going to be dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. The final stage of the Roman Empire, throughout the world. A small pocket of rebels will be in the city of Jerusalem fighting off Antichrist till the second advent of Christ. All this we're going to learn in, uh, in, this, uh, in the Day of the Lord series. So we see here that Habakkuk 2.17 begins with two prophetic statements, which is followed by a causal clause, and then what we call an epexegetical clause. In other words, an explanatory clause. Now the first prophetic statement, as we read, asserts that the violent acts committed by the Babylonians against the people in the land of Lebanon will overwhelm the Babylonians. In other words, the Babylonians will be conquered by violence because they conquered the people and land of Lebanon by violent acts. The implication is that the Babylonians will be treated in the same violent manner as they treated the people in the land of Lebanon. The Babylonians will experience violent acts committed against them because they committed violent acts against the people and the land of Lebanon. 
Lebanon. Lebanon, what's that? Well, we see that Lebanon, let me give you, let me go back here in verse 17. I didn't read the whole uh, uh, translation of verse 17 for you. Sorry about that. For the violent acts committed against the people and land of Lebanon will overwhelm you. Likewise, the destructive acts of violence against both wild and domesticated animals will cause you to enter the state of being terrified. Ultimately, these violent acts will overwhelm you and terrify you because you murdered innocent civilian members of the human race. And here's the exegetical clause for committing violent acts against the land, a city, that is for committing violent acts against each and every one of the inhabitants in them. So what is Lebanon? Lebanon refers to the region north of Israel and west of Syria with the Phoenician territory to the west along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and consisted of two mountain ranges with a fertile valley in between. Uh, let me give you my, uh, a little uh, a map on the board of these uh, where they are. Let me get it up here for you. All right, okay. Blow it up. All right. Here we got the Middle East here. Let me get my pen here so I can circle it for you, so I can draw. Ooh, isn't that good? So here we have Lebanon, okay? It's to the left of Syria, right on the Mediterranean coast. Some of you already know that because you're in the military, you know all this stuff, okay? So some people don't, okay? So right up here, here's Jerusalem down here. So this is where they were. They're very, they were very big in the ancient world because they really, because of their tremendous uh, forest, were a great place for military, like Solomon. He, he had a lot of stuff, the temple, a lot of the materials for the temple were taken from up there. The trees down, they were cut down. They were known for their, their forests. So the area, famous in the Old Testament times, Lebanon was the area which was very famous. If you read the, if you read the Old Testament, it was very famous, Lebanon, for their, in, in, in Old Testament times, for their forests, okay? And, and so uh, th this place has been, uh, you know, because armies have, have terrorized this place for years. I remember I dated this Lebanese girl back in the 80s, and I remember her mother was, you know, just off the boat. Her father was a teacher, and he was hardly ever around. But uh, the, the, father, uh, the mother, you know, she was, she, I used to love going to her house to, to eat because I'd never had anything like it before. You know, you usually have, you know, you know my house was like, okay, we're having roast beef tonight, okay? One night we're going to have a hamburger, okay? Or we're going to have, uh, 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 you know, uh, beans and hot dogs or something, okay? No, in this house, she gave me chicken, she gave me this, she gave me that. I was like, yeah, okay? And I was like, and of course, her daughter couldn't cook worth a darn. I'm the one who could cook. So she couldn't. So that was right crossing her up. So she can't cook. She can't be married to me. I'm just, anyways, so I said, so I couldn't. So this Lebanese girl, she, I remember at night, her poor mother, because she had family members over there still. And Israel went in there. And by the way, they went into Lebanon because the, we know for a fact that the Russians were stockpiling weapons in 1982. They were, we found them. It's documented. That's why Israel went in there, because they, 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 basically what they did is it looks like Russia was prom, prom, uh, attempting an invasion. We're planning on it, right at the beginning of the Reagan administration. And here's an interesting thing. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, with the Prince of Rosh, okay, we're going to study that Russian invasion of Israel in the Day of the Lord series. Ezekiel 38 and 39. They're going to have a coalition of nations, and it says a nation from the extreme part north of, of uh, Israel. Look Who's in extreme north of Israel? Moscow, Russia. They're coming. Gonna be during the tribulation period. So th this is what, so Lebanon, so the Lebanese people, they, I mean, I, I was talking to her mother and her mother said it was a beautiful place. You know, the French had it, you know, like, it's a colony of this, and it was just a beautiful place. And war just absolutely ruined it, she said. 
It was terrible. And she used to cry at night on the phone. It felt so bad for the woman, you know, because her loved ones, you know, they're going to be, they're going to survive, the, you know, what's going on, on there with the war. So it's, it, it was terrible. So back to our text. So again, Lebanon refers to the, the region north of Israel and west of Syria with Phoenician territory to the west along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and consisted of two mountain ranges with a fertile valley in between. Now, the second prophetic statement in our text is in addition to the first, and it asserts that the destructive acts of violence against, uh, committed by the Babylonians against both domesticated and wild animals will cause the Babylonians to be terrified. In other words, the Babylonians will be destroyed by violence because they destroyed both wild and domesticated animals by their violent acts. And the implication of this t statement here is that the Babylonians will be treated in the same violent manner as they treated the animal kingdom. You know, it's amazing to me, but you know, I, it's t people who mistreat animals and do stuff to animals, okay, you know, they, that I'm not talking about hunting. That's not, okay, this is to people just, they like to, abuse animals, what do you think their attitude is toward people? It kind of tells you they're really decadent and sick. Why would you do that to an animal? I remember as a little kid, you had this wacko kid in my neighborhood. Uh, his, name, his name was Mark. And, oh yeah, he used like to blow things up, set things on fire. He'd blow up, he'd blow up, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the frogs and everything, get a, a cherry bomb and blow the frogs. I mean, he's a sick son of a gun. I'm so, I wonder if he's a psychopathic killer somewhere. He's like a, you know, he's in, uh, you know, uh, some jail somewhere for, you know, murdering somebody. Because they just tell you how sick these people are. They would do that to an animal. I just, you know, when people abuse animals like that, that's terrible. That's terrible. It tells you, kind of makes you scared of what they think about people if they're doing that to animals which is a lower creation, right? So both the Old Testament and secular history records that the Babylonians used the forests of Lebanon as sources of abundant building materials. They exploited and pillaged Lebanon of her great natural resources, such as their great forests. They had denuded large portions of Lebanon's forests, and they also followed the custom of the Assyrians and exploited both wild and domesticated animals for their own selfish purposes. They didn't simply kill animals for food or clothing, and they didn't simply do it for sport, but rather for sheer enjoyment of killing. Now, after these two prophetic statements, we have the prepositional phrase that we saw in verse 8, midmi adam, which presents an additional reason for the previous two prophetic statements here in Habakkuk 2.7. So therefore, this prepositional phrase presents another reason why the Babylonians will be overwhelmed and terrified by violent, destructive acts. And this prepositional phrase, minami adam, it asserts that the Babylonians murdered innocent civilian members of the human race, so therefore, this prepositional phrase in relation to the first prophetic statement indicates that the Babylonians will be overwhelmed by violent acts because they murdered innocent civilian members of the human race, and in relation to the second prophetic statement, the Babylonians will be terrified by destructive acts of violence because they murdered innocent civilian members of the human race. So that prepositional phrase that I got for you on the board, it's expressing the idea that the Babylonians will be overwhelmed by violent acts and terrified by destructive acts of violence because they murdered innocent civilian members of the human race. All innocent people, innocent animals, they're not doing anything. You want to eat them, you want to cook, you need to feed your family, fine. You want to clothe your family, fine. But you just for, just for the, not for, you don't want to do it for sport, but you actually do it because you like the sheer enjoyment of killing? I mean, the Nazis were like that. I mean, they just shoot people and they're screaming. I just like killing them. They're sick people. So uh, we see that this, uh, give you my uh, 
in my article, my exegesis and exposition, which you can get on our website, of Habakkuk chapter uh, 2, verse 17. This word, the word for, um, is, let me see what the, the NIV translates it as. Uh, let's see. Uh, blood, okay? You see this word blood here? Well, it, it doesn't simply mean blood simply by, by itself. Uh, it, the word's dam, okay? It actually, in this context, means the guilt of murder. Why? Because it pertains to the guilt associated with murdering another person. It describes here the Babylonians murdering innocent civilians during their conquest of the various nations in the ancient world, Mediterranean, Mesopotamian regions of the world, at the end of the 7th century and at the beginning of the 6th century. BC. So we see that Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 17, comes to an end with the statement uh, that in the Hebrew, which is Va Hamas Aretz Kirea Vaho Visheva. <laughs> I'm looking at this thing. Let me show you around the text here. Hold on one sec. Okay, here it is up here. All right. So you have Mirami Aradam, then you have Vahamas Aretz Kiraya Vahol Yashleva. Okay, right here. That's the Hebrew text. I couldn't read it up here because the thing's backwards here. So, anyway, so there you are. It's an exegetical clause, in other words, for those of you who are really impressed with Hebrew, big deal. So, if you don't understand it, I'm just putting it up there because some people say, what's the Hebrew behind it? Okay, I'll put it up the Hebrew if I'm trying to explain something, but I just don't want to put it up there just say, wow, I could read Hebrew. So, this phrase means for committing acts of violence against the land, a city, that is for committing violent acts against each and every one of the inhabitants in them. So this epexegetical clause, people, it explains in greater detail, that's what epexegetical means, it explains in greater detail that meaning of the prepositional phrase, minimi adam, in relation to the first two prophetic statements in verse 17. So this explanatory, or what we can call it, epexegetical clause, is identifying specifically the civilian population of the lands and cities of the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world as the innocent civilians the Babylonians murdered by means of their violent acts. And with the expression, with the exception, excuse me, of the two prophetic statements, Habakkuk 2.17 is almost identical with Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 8. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 8, because it has the same preposition and the same exegetical clause I just gave you. Habakkuk 2.8, because you plundered many nations, each and every one of uh, left from the, among these peoples will plunder you on account of murdering innocent civilian members of the human race. Okay? Namely, for committing violent acts against the land, a city, that is, for committing violent acts against each and every one of the inhabitants in them. So they have, it echoes verse 8, verse 17. Why? Why is have God repeating himself? You see God repeating himself all the time. It's part of the ancient world anyways. They were, they were not a visual culture like you and I. We watch too much television, let's face it. I mean, from my generation back to my father's generation. I mean, I have so much television. I, I see my, uh, my nephew when he was a little kid, and now he's, he's in a senior in, in college. And boy, do I feel really old. He's going to be graduating soon. And maybe he used to go, you know, we'd have a Christmas party over at my brother Jimmy's house, and he'd be in front of the television, and he'd go, we'd also just go. He would still stare. He would, he'd think the little cherub with the big chug, chuggy cheeks. He was like uh, Walker. And he, he would just sit there, and he'd be transfixed to the television. Oh, then now you see kids, they're on the phone all the time, which, by the way, is not very good for the children, by the way. Okay? Research is showing. So we have a very visual culture. Back in the ancient world, that was not the case. They could listen. 
and they used different techniques for memorization. Jesus did it all the time. He used very, a very, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, sayings that would be easy to remember. He would use hyperbole, which is uh, exaggeration for the sake of effect. And he would do different things, techniques like this, to remember, and he would repeat things. A good pastor is supposed to repeat. Well, people say, I, I missed that. It's all right. Don't worry. If you've been in here for any long time, you'll come, we'll come back to it, and you'll remember, because I'll be repeating it again. Okay? In fact, there's many things I've repeated already because I know there's nobody in this room who's going to remember exactly everything I have said in the past. Who does? I don't even do that. I'm a plugger. I have to, I'm not a genius on anything. I have to work really, really, really hard to remember some passages of Scripture. People, how do you remember these Scriptures? You pull them out of the... Because I've been in the... Te- I, I should. I've been a Christian since I was 19, and I've been ex- exhausted study since I was 25, and I'm like 62 someday. And that's, that's a long time. I should know these things. They should come into my head. I've been... I mean, it's repetition. It's repetition. If you want to be great at something, you've got to get used to discipline and repetition. The military trains its guys, repetition, repetition. Great sports teams, repetition, repetition. Vince Lombardi used to run the, su- the same sweep with Jimmy Taylor and Paul Horning right over with, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I can't remember the guy. He was great guy, great guard, maybe you might remember him. And they would do the, that route, and they'd run that same play a million times. No one could stop it, though. But repetition, repetition, repetition. Discipline makes you great. Okay, Tiger Woods didn't become a great golfer, or Jack Nicklaus, the greatest golfer of all time, by simply rolling out of bed. Talent can only take you so far. You got to do something with the talent. And everyone, as I said before in this room, I'm not saying you're going to be a biblical scholar, but every single one of you could be, you're supposed to be a theologian. Not just, it doesn't say just pastors are theologians. All of you are supposed to be theologians. You all have the capacity. You all have the Holy Spirit. And you all have a volition, and it's all about how much, uh, how much effort you want to put in your relationship with God. You'll get the most you put out of your relationship with God if you put your effort into it. The best relationships and the best marriages and the best friendships where there's both parties are putting in, stuffing into it. They're both putting a lot into it. God's already put all he could in the relationship. He gave all of himself. Now it's up to us. What are we going to do to respond to that relationship? Are we going to, give a, are we going to be like, you know, I'll see you God on Sundays and that's it? You know? The nod to God, I'll see you Sunday, and on the rest of the week, I'm going off with Susie Q and Billy Bob. Okay? All right. And I'm not going to say Sally at the bar, because I got a lot of grief for saying Sally at the bar. Sally, I'll never say that again about you at the bar. I know it wasn't even thinking about you at the bar. (laughs) In Jeremiah 25, verses 15 through 30, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that many nations would fall to Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, identifies that a remnant of these nations that Jeremiah lists in Jeremiah 25 would plunder the Babylonians. Remember all throughout this chapter we read, what you did to them, they're going to do, they're going to come back and get you. In fact, let me show you again in, 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 chap, in the beginning of chapter 2. Where are we? All right, so you come down here, let me see. Uh, let's see. Oh, oh here. Uh, look at uh, verse, uh, verse 6. There we go. Will not all of them, who's them? These nations that Jeremiah lists in Jeremiah 25 that, came, that eventually came with Middle Persia to, de- to defeat Babylon. Will not all of them taunt him and with ridicule scorn? 
saying, woe to him, the Babylonian who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. You have plundered many nations. These people, the peoples who are left, the remnant of those nations that survived, will plunder you. So what are these nations? Let's go to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25, please. And you can look on the board if you don't want to do that. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25. And look at verse 15. Jeremiah 25, 15. <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15. So my point on the board here, in Jeremiah 25, verses 15 through 30, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that many nations would fall to Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, identifies that a remnant from these nations would plunder the Babylonians. So therefore, as we'll see from the text, Egypt, Uz, the Philistines, those of Eshkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the people left at Ashdod, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, and the coastlands across the Mediterranean Sea plundered the Babylonians. Since these nations are listed as being conquered by Babylon in Habakkuk chapter 2, Verses 6 through 20 states that a remnant from these nations would plunder the Babylonians one day. Also, we see that Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all those nations in the distant places did as well, along with the nations of Arabia, Zimri, Elam, and of course, the Medo Media, the Medo Persian Empire. That's terrifying. So, in other words, Babylon was like the bully on the block who was kicking everybody's buff in the neighborhood. But then he got a little bit older or something. I don't know, maybe he got a, a, a pulled hamstring or something. And now everybody in the neighborhood beat the living daylights out of the guy when they could. Okay? And that's exactly what happened. All right? So Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, say, said to me. Take from my hand this cup, fill with the wine of my wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Again, he's a contemporary, Jeremiah is of Habakkuk and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel. Listen to me. This is one of the greatest men in history, this man, Jeremiah, who was called into service as a young man, a teenager, and he was told to go to his nation to capitulate to the Babylonian Empire, you'll die. If you don't give in, if you don't surrender to him, you die. What do you think that made him in his country? It made him, it made him a villain. He looked like he was not patriotic. He was a very, the most patriotic man there was, there was in the country. You think he, you think he enjoyed telling the gods, conveying God's message of destruction for the nation? No. Verse 16, when they drink it, hey, listen to me, by the way, patriots, okay, you, you know, countries, when your country is committing injustice or you're doing wrong, it's unpatriotic to sit there and not say anything. Wrong. You do. Our country is under. Is, we've learned from Scripture. God doesn't play favorites. You either play by His rules, or He's going to deal with you. And our nation, as much as we love it, and we, many of you have given your lives and served this country, it doesn't justify evil acts or evil behavior or evil laws or whatever they're doing out in the air. Okay? We don't. That's not right. Okay? There's justice that needs to be done, and we should be upset with the way our country is going in the wrong direction. And it's been going in the wrong direction for a long time. But we see here that you can't, people, when they sit there, you know, blindly say whatever America does. Or, or Israel. 
You know, Israel doesn't do a lot of good. They do, they do evil too, you know. They're not, they're not like a, this, you know, cherub of a nation that never does anything wrong. They're just like us. We make stupid decisions. We do stupid things. We get involved in things that we had no business getting involved in. We muddle in other people's affairs, fiddle around with the sovereignty of other nations. Come on. We got to stop doing that. God's watching this. This text is telling us and warning the country. And all Russia and China do the same stupid thing all over the place. So he goes on to say, verse 16, when they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent it, sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a ruin and an object of horror, scorn and cursing as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his attendants, his officials, and all his people, and all the foreign people there, all the king of, kings of Uz, all the kings of the Philistines, those of Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the people of left at Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Remember, we studied Eman and Ob Obadiah. They actually got, God got ripped at them because they went after their blood relatives, the Jews, remember Esau and Jacob, okay? And uh, so they, God was furious that Edom threw their hat in with Babylon to defeat southern king of Judah. All the kings of Tyre and Sidon, the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all who are in distant places, all the kings of Arabia, and the kings of all the foreign people who live in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, Elam, Media, and all the kings of the north, near and far, one after the other, all the kingdoms on the face of the earth, and after all of them, the king of Shishak will drink it too. Then tell them all. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Adonai Savaot, the Lord ruling over the armies. The God of Israel, Jesus Christ, says, drink, get drunk, and vomit. Fall to, fail to, uh, fall to rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. The sword is war. It's a metaphor for war. But if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, tell them this is what the Lord Almighty says. You must drink it. See, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name. And will you indeed go unpunished? No. You will not go unpunished, for I am calling down a sword, war, upon all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. And then it says, now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, the Lord will roar, roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tread the grapes and shout against all who live on the earth. And the tumult will resound to the ends of the earth for the Lord will bring charges against the nations and he will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. That took courage to say that. Men who teach the word of God if they don't have the courage, get out. You don't want to say things people... If you want to be a people pleaser like King Saul, forget about it, you're in the wrong business. And there's too many people pleasers. you got to teach the truth, whether it bothers people or not. They need to hear the truth. You don't give them what they want, you give them what they need to hear. And that's what God was telling Jeremiah to say. Tell them what they need to hear. It's that our Lord was the same way. Paul was, as I said to the Galatians, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Truth, okay, is something that changes and shapes our forms and our standards. It forms our character. God created us to run on truth. And that's what the Word of God, the teacher of the Word of God needs to do. And the evangelist, when he goes to the non-believer, to go and give them the truth. You are under the wrath of God. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to the lake of fire. He doesn't want you to go there. He, he didn't send the Son of the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 
and Christian who is supposed to be a believer in Jesus Christ, saved by the wrath, saved from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus. You have a responsibility. Great privilege is given to you. How dare you and I reject the truth? And we reject it in many ways. We don't apply it and we pick and, pick and choose what we want to believe. We need to listen to the truth and obey the truth. Whether we like it or not, God wants us to shape our character. Yes, every culture is affected by the gospel. Everybody's going to get upset by the gospel in every culture, including Americans. Okay? It offends people. It's a manifestation that God is in the gospel. The Holy Spirit is in Bible doctrine. It's in the word of truth. So we need to put it into practice in our lives and pray for your country. And pray for the church that God would raise up more men who have some you-know-what to teach the truth in this country because they're falling away. They can't keep them in the pulpits. They're leaving for whatever reasons. I've run into many... I got, I got within a coffee shop down here, you know, Old Town Coffee over here. I pop in there right now and then. And they make good cappuccino. And there was this guy I met in there. Turns out he's a pastor who lives in this area. But he's not a pastor anywhere. You know what he does? He goes and he helps pastors who want to get a break from the ministry and all that stuff. And he's not in the ministry. He's not even teaching anymore. I said, what are you teaching? I've run to pastors in here all the time. You know what I found out? I know why God has me running into them. To convict them. Oh, I've been through this and I've been through that. Oh, let me read. Wait till I read. Wait till you read my book when it comes out in heaven. You wouldn't believe the garbage I've been through. Don't tell me you can't minister to people because you've been hurt. Let me say, you are in ministry for any like a time, a deacon or a pastor. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. That's ministry. They're going to betray you. They're going to say stupid things about you. And all you know, this very time is the people you do the most for. They need the truth. So this guy, he's, he's not even teaching the word of God. You're going to be kidding me. There's a guy, he's a, I love this guy. I love this guy. We have so much in common. He's a, he's a historian. I've heard his messages in a, in a church he had. In California, he was amazing. He was fantastic. I said, what are you doing? God gave you a gift. Well, he's retired. I said, where does it say that, hey, only way I'll ever retire is like I have dementia or something, okay? Really? I don't see, if you have a health issue, like past the peak, you can't even see for crying out loud. I mean, he, 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 99 years old. He looks great. He still hits the golf ball, but he can't, it's, it's different. I don't even know how he did it. It's, I can't. I can't even know, understand how he even did it with, a, with a study and prepare with that eye. He can't even see. So, you know, health reasons are a good reason, but if you're healthy, what are you, what are you walking away from if, you are, if, you can, if you're healthy enough to do it? I can't. I don't want to ever do that. So, you know, it's like truth. You, you, we need the truth in the, in, the, in the word of God in this country. We, this is what the country needs. They need the pastors to be teaching the congregation not what they want to hear. You know, they do the, the cherry pick and they, they, they like, oh, they love to do this. They love to go and teach, complain to the crowd. I'll tell you what they do. You, you probably watch them and you think they're great. They'll talk about things, politics, that have nothing to do with the gospel, because they, and they'll talk right-wing politics, or if they're in the African-American uh, uh, wing of the Christianity, like in the Democrats, like, they, they do the same thing in their churches that the white guys are doing in their churches with their conservatives. They play into the crowd, blowing smoke at everybody. Why? Because they know they'll get their offerings. And they'll talk about things that they want to hear. You know? And that's why the prosperity gospel is so big in this country. Just tell me how rich I can be. Okay? Woe to those guys. 
Woe to those guys. I wouldn't want to be in the Bama seat and that guy's shoes. I'd be like shuddering. How could you do that? But some people, they live as if they have no fear of God, that they're not going to have to give an account to God. We're all going to have to give an account to God. And what are you going to do with the truth? Jeremiah, he did what he was supposed to do, and he taught the truth, whether the people liked it or not. And that's what you should appreciate when people teach you the truth, whether you like it or not. You might not like the guy, you might not like his personality, but at the end of the day, if you love me, Peter, you'll feed my lambs. That's how you know a pastor loves you. And a man, Jeremiah loved his people. That's the greatest patriot right there, speaking to his people and the people of the world. So we see here that the prophetic statements, and we'll close the first session. I'm getting all worked up here. I'm ready to go for the second session. We can just go right in there, but everybody has to go to the bathroom probably. They're drinking this wonderful coffee. Anyways, that's what all they got me running to go to the bathroom. Sherry's going over there, and the other guy is over there. Scott's going, you hurry up, I gotta go to the bathroom or something, you know? Anyway, the prophetic statements in Habakkuk 2 8 and 17 were all fulfilled in history, people. When the Medo Persian Empire invaded Babylon and overthrew Belshazzar, as recorded in Daniel chapter 5, the Babylonian Empire was plundered by the Medo Persian Empire and her allies. Therefore, what Babylon did to other nations was done to her. You wanna prove the Bible? Is the word of God? Fulfilled prophecy. People go, I was talking to this guy the other day. And he's like, uh, he's a, he was a Christian. He has this doubt. And he's like, so I'm sitting there talking to him. He's like, fulfill prophecy. That's why I believe inspired by God. Absolutely. We talked about other things too. First thing on the docket. Here's a chapter you can go look at. First two chapters have been fulfilled in history in Habakkuk. And chapter three is yet to come. That's eschatological future. So Babylon's punishment. And this is a warning again to all the nations, including our own. Will they Listen. Babylon's punishment would correspond to the crimes they committed against other nations. Or in other words, the punishment of the Babylonians would fit their crimes they committed against God and other nations. Habakkuk 2, 18 and 17 bring into view the spiritual law or principle we've been talking about, the law of retribution, or in other words, in Latin, lex teleonis. This law of principle means that because of the unjustified violent acts committed, against, committed by the citizens of Babylon against other nations, and because of God's holy character, the citizens of Babylon would be treated in the same cruel manner they treated other nations. These verses also bring into view another spiritual law, naming the law of retaliation. That's why when people do wrong to you as a Christian, what didn't Paul say? Leave, don't take out your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. One time when I had my, 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 my church split, my last one that I left Iowa in 2010, a friend of mine goes, he goes, and they, they, they sandbagged me. I, they, they, so they got me because I called them on abuse of the finances of the church. The big story. So they, the, the, two, the two culprits there, uh, I, I confronted, actually did it by my, individually. As a, not with a big church around. I did, it's privately. I took them privately aside. Boy, I tell you what. They went after me. And I remember there was like an inquisition. I felt like Jesus was surrounded by the Pharisees. And my friend was looking over, his friend, he was looking over, and he's like, oh my gosh. And he goes, how did you, how did you not say anything and retaliate against him? And say, you know, give. I said, look at, I can do a good Joe Pecci imitation, and I can act like a gangster too, and I can be like, I can give you, I can get grown men to cry. I've done it. It's like, let me tell you something. I was thinking of the Lord saying, don't take out your own revenge, leave room for the wrath of God. And today, they're sitting in an empty building, there's just two of those guys, and they have no church, no pastor, no one will work for them because they've seen what they've done to me and the guys that followed me. Leave room for the wrath of God. And by the way, many of those people who were ganged up against me, they're dead. 
One, one couple died of a motorcycle accident in Florida. I didn't seek out, they, they came out to me. Another person who betrayed me, they're dead. They're dead at a young age. You don't go after, let, let God take those people in here. Don't you retaliate. It takes tremendous spiritual strength to sit there and not retaliate against people. Let him take care of them. You, don't, you, you just keep focusing on God's word. Don't be bitter toward them. Forgive them. Be patient and tolerant with them. Pray for those who spitely treat you, right? It's easier said than done, right? Well, you need to do it, okay? How do you get the motivation to do that? Didn't he forgive us when we were his enemies? Didn't he raise us up and seated us with Christ, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, when we were dead in our transgressions and sins? Don't tell me you and I can't do that to our brothers or sisters that are mistreating us or the non-Christian that's mistreating us or the person at work that's mistreating you or the ex-wife, you know, who wants to take everything. Let her have everything for crying out loud. She can't take it with her anyways. And those things are not going to make it any, any better. And if he wants to take everything, let her take everything. Honey, you don't need him anyways if he wants to go like that. It's not worth it. It's just stuff. It's going to burn up anyways. Really? God, oh, you know, so one last thing, and I'll sh- I promise I'll shut up. The Babylonians learned something that Americans should be pay attention to, and the Chinese and the Russians, everybody, including the church. Listen to me. Babylonians learned, through personal experience, that the God of Israel is their judge and does execute judgments against those who violate his laws. God has authority to judge because he's the creator. People don't like this, but you know what? God doesn't care whether you like it or not. It's his house, and as my father used to say, Billy, if you don't like it, go get your own place. Go pay the light bill. I tell you that story. I was like, I used to, he used to, my father had these, we call it very anal, okay? He, the lights were left on in the house. Billy, shut the light off. I was like, you're probably laughing at me. Like, yeah, I had the father was the same way. Shut the light off. You, I said, Dad. He's like, so, so I get my first place, and I call him up. Hey, Dad. He says, hey, what's going on? He says, he says I got every light in the house on turned on right now. He goes, good, and you could pay the electric bill. <laughs> it's his house, God's house. He runs the show. It's his, and he's going to deal with you as he sees fit, according to his rules and regulations, which are righteous. Righteous means you do right by people. God did right to the Babylonians. You say, I don't think so. That was mean. Oh, yeah? What about the people who got, were the victims of their cruel behavior? Don't they get any justice? The scriptures teach of God's status as judge. We don't like this, but that's the reality. That's the truth. Americans don't like the judge. They want the sugar-coated God that will t- be just tell them how wonderful they are. The God created in the image, which is leading to our thing on idolatry in the second session. People want their own gods because their own gods are in their image that are just like them. And God's word, truth, shows us how wicked we are. Like showing a teenager under a bright light in a mirror their acne. Ah! We don't want to see that about ourselves. But that's the first step in humility, is to t- accept the fact that you and I are wicked, rotten, filthy sinners. And we could dress ourselves up and, you know, can it, you know what's the story about the pig? You can put the pig, okay, in a suit and everything. He's still a pig, he's still filthy. We're still filthy. The only way, our only salvation is this, that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, in the holiness of Christ. Our sins and transgressions are gone, nailed at the cross. And finally, 
God judges the inhabitants of the earth and he judges nations. Joel 3, 12, Psalm 9, verses 19 through 20, Psalm 110, verse 6, Obadiah 15, we studied, Zephaniah 3, 8, which we're going to study in the future here. And lastly, he judges rulers of nations. You don't like who's in power? Guess what? And, he's, and you have legitimate reasons why you don't like him? Don't worry about it. He's a judge. He'll deal with that guy who's the president or the president of China or Putin or whatever you want. Just look at history. He deals with them all. In fact, when you think about it, too, the sins of every leader in history are imputed to Christ on the cross, and he would judge for them. That's why Paul says to pray for your leaders, because he desires all people to be saved, including our president, if he's not saved already. Bad behavior, bad laws, bad conduct is all a product of being enslaved to sin and Satan, and the gospel is the only solution, because it, it gives us the good news that we have been delivered from sin and Satan in this cosmic system, and we can experience that deliverance, salvation, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And us who have experienced it, this is a good time of year to remember again to give thanks for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for every single person in this chapel, and we pray that the message be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and help us to apply it accurately in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.